It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Yesterday, some listeners in West Cork spoke about changes to the way funerals will be conducted in the Diocese of Cork and Ross. So we decided to get some clarity on the issue. And joining me this morning, the parish priest in Inneskeen, and that's uh, Father Tom Hayes. Good morning to you, Father Tom. Good morning, Patricia. You're you're very welcome to the programme. Now, firstly, just to clarify something that I mentioned yesterday that a listener had said to us, the bishop didn't send a letter to be read out at masses, but it's a document that has been sent to priests regarding funerals going forward. Well, yeah, it's not just being sent to priests. It's actually being sent um, to the whole diocese, really. It's just being published as we speak. It um, has been sent to clergy and to undertakers and the people involved in funeral ministry in recent days and meetings have been held by the bishops, some online and some in person to launch it. And it will be available on the diocesan website later on today as well. So, and the plan is to have more lay people involved in funerals going forward? That's the, the main point of it, Patricia. I suppose... One of the things that has happened over the decades in in this country is that we moved from a time when people were much more involved in funeral ministry and in funeral prayers. And then we ended up with having an awful lot of priests. And with especially with the emergence of funeral homes, it ended up with just the priest standing up in the funeral home. Whereas when people were waked at home. It was the neighbours said the prayers and it was family members said the prayers and the different people had different roles in it. So in recent years in our diocese, what's already been happening is we've been establishing what are called parish funeral ministry teams. Now these teams are a combination of the priests and trained lay people and in some parishes there are deacons involved in the ministry as well. So the key point is that it's a team of people that are available to support the bereaved family and also to lead the prayers. So they do everything from helping the family to plan the funeral, leading the prayers the night before in the home or in the funeral home and being involved on the day of the funeral as well with the priest. And now more than ever, Father Tom, with uh, an ageing priest population and a fall-off in vocation, teams like this are needed more than ever. Yes, essentially. That, that's a big part of it. But I think it, it, it also is, to be honest, a transforming thing. I know that for me, say, in our parish, we introduced a funeral ministry team several years ago. And it was one of the best things that happened in the parish in recent years because 11 people 
um, went off and did the training program, a short training program. And it changed really how we ministered to people because it meant I wasn't standing up on my own anymore in the funeral home. I was there with somebody beside me. So the ministry was shared and we planned it together and we did the prayers together. And sometimes then it ended up that I wasn't able to be there because there might be a station mass or there might be something else in the conflict. So the member, other members of the team continued to do the prayers and they do it beautifully and it's really nice and it's a fabulous ministry to be involved in. So over the next month or so, uh, most of the parishes in our diocese will be asking people, inviting people to, it takes a certain kind of person to do this ministry. It's not for everybody, Mm. but there are enough people who have the right gift to do it all right. And there's something nice about having people from the local parish because they're going to be people that you will know. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, and they're, you know, the, the person who is deceased and who's being prayed for may very well have known this person mm. as well. Mm. And, um, you know, one of our ministry teams said to me recently that one of the nicest things that she was able to do was when her, one of her own parents died and she was able to lead the prayers herself in her own home place and had been prepared and trained to do it. And she said it was a real blessing and a privilege to be able to do that. Now, the generation ahead of her would have done that comfortably enough. You know, people were used to leading the rosary in their own homes all the time. Um, But now it's a little bit different and people need to be trained and helped to do it. And it's a wonderful thing to do. And obviously during the pandemic, you weren't able to use any of those teams. No, that was one of the big losses. You know, I know in the earlier part of your programme there, you've been dealing with a lot of questions and people. And people are still anxious and concerned about the the COVID and the vaccines and all of that as well. But definitely one of the big losses was when we had to stand down the parish funeral ministry teams, but we're actually bringing them back into ministry now and into activity again gradually in the parishes, and we'll be inviting new people into it as well. And I suppose one of the other things that's in the new policy is that, and this is partly as a result of the pandemic, the pattern of how funerals got carried out has changed a bit. So... You know, traditionally there was a maybe a rosary one night, a removal another night, and then the funeral mass the day after. And during the pandemic, the people were just brought to the church immediately before the mass. And in the consultation that the bishop and the diocese have done, most people actually want to keep that. Um, so they want they've opted for having a prayer service either in the home or in the funeral home the night before which will be led by members of the parishes funeral ministry team, which includes the lay people, the priests and the deacons, and then the person being brought to the church just before the Mass. And that seems to be the preferred option uh, that most people are going for now as well. Yeah, but can... And that obviously, for, for some families, they like the idea, particularly families who go the old traditional route of waking somebody at home. Yes. And, and during COVID times, I had a, a very, very dear person who passed away. And that's exactly what we did. The wake, we, we had him at home for the last night and then we went down to the church the next morning and... The funeral uh, took place then with just the 10 of us inside side in the church. Uh, but I have to say yesterday, the calls and the texts that we got from people who were most upset by the changes was to do with that, the fact that for some people, they like the idea of lying in repose in the church the night before the funeral and they don't like that that's been taken away from them. 
And I suppose, you know, this is a very individual thing. A lot of people will have different preferences. I suppose there's a bit of a tension here. I've dealt with families over the years who maybe their loved one wanted to be left in the church, and yet they really wanted to have the person at home. They wanted to be with the person for that last night, as you said, in your example there. And I think that's the dominant sentiment, actually. And for people for people who have walked through this journey painfully during the pandemic, I think the experience has changed how they feel. For people who only have the experience pre-pandemic, there are some people still want to go back to the way that it was. That's unlikely to happen, I think. One of the things that we've been hearing pretty consistently for all the families who have had a bereavement and a loss during the pandemic was that in spite of the restrictions, they actually felt that it was they could be much more present, it was much more prayerful. The focus was really on where they wanted it to be rather than on the chaos that sometimes ensues when you're dealing with hundreds and hundreds of people coming around you and, and the pressure that that can bring. So I think the people listening to the people that have walked that journey for the last nearly two years now, their sentiment was that this is actually much easier. It's a nicer experience for them. And they actually prefer to have the person at home and bring them to the church in the morning. Okay, and there's also going to be changes. Are you going to stop open coffins in in churches? But that, that's not a very common practice, is it? Evan? It's not very no. common. No, it's not very common, Patricia. Um, but you so, saw so some people raise that that in in a few areas it had become an intermittent issue in recent years, and I suppose they felt that we should keep the church just as the sacred place, that it not to make it another funeral home but to actually keep the church as a place for prayer. Uh, now, just to be clear there, sometimes people have a real situation where maybe somebody has a funeral and a loved one flies in the morning of the yeah. funeral and they just make it to the church. We're not saying that that's a problem, of course. Yeah, it's exceptional circumstances, yeah. But this is where, you know, there were a few incidences of the church literally being open for three hours, the coffin being open at the top, People forgetting that there was actually the Blessed Sacrament was there, that it was really a place of prayer and it actually isn't a funeral parlour. Yeah, Eddie has a memory. He he reckons many years ago that when a corpse was removed to a church on the evening of the removal, the coffin was placed in the mortuary. The mortuary was sealed off from the church. Yes. There was a separate entrance and he reckons it's only in the last 20 years or so that the corpse got left in the church overnight. Do you, do you have a memory of that? I do, in fairness, yeah. Um, it's probably a good bit more than 20. Yeah, um, I think it is as well. <laughs> but anyway, we're all doing a bit of denial about these things. Um, but yeah, it's true to say that a lot of the churches had a mortuary and the tradition was that the body was not brought into the main body of the church for the Mass. And also in many cases, I remember when I was an altar server as a child, uh, the mass was said in the morning and there was just the family present. Oh. And then the burial was in the afternoon and the people gathered outside of the church and the priest said prayers inside in the mortuary and the, the coffin was brought out the side door of the church and straight to the burial ground. So he's he's correct. That yeah, was the yeah. tradition. Yeah, and and when you know when you talk about the COVID uh, funerals and there were so many sad sad passings uh, during the pandemic, 
that what what started out as uh, almost it became a tradition I think in many areas because people couldn't go to the funeral lining the route to the yeah. cemetery lining the, there was something very moving about that yes I think especially when the rest of the world was standing still it has moved a little bit now I notice now it's you know we've kind of gotten into a bit of both worlds now again what I mean by that is there are still people lining the routes occasionally now when somebody's being taken to the church but the regular ongoing traffic is also flying up and down the road as if nothing was going on mm-hmm. I think for me the poignancy of those moments and I remember leaving houses uh, having said a prayer in the home with a family with just maybe five or six people present and heading to the church and passing people at every gate and every crossroads but there was no other car on the road and there was no lorries passing and there was no delivery trucks and the world was quieter and the world was calmer and there was a real awareness of that sacred moment, the journey that that person was taking. I think maybe that is being diluted now again by our return to so-called commercial normality, if you like, um, but but just, just the way we are. But yeah, I think I agree with you, those those moments, I think, were really sacred. And also, the, I think they're lovely memories for the people who were bringing a loved one to the church or to the burial ground in those times. They have very clear pictures of seeing the neighbours standing at the gates mm. and standing at the crossroads and just paying their respects. Yeah, there's yeah, there's yeah. something powerful about standing with people, you know. We're in the novena now for the Holy Souls beginning today. And I think it's powerful, that tradition that we have in this country of people you know, just being there for those who have died as well as for those who are bereaved. There's something really healing about being aware of others being on the journey with you. How has the pandemic been for you, uh, Father Tom? Was it, has it been very tough? It's been a seesaw, to be honest. I'd say, and I think most of my colleagues would feel the same way. Um, some things have been very challenging, Um and some things, there have been an awful lot of real blessings as well, you know, being being there with families in those kind of situations that we've been talking to um, has been a real blessing and it's a real privilege. You know, there was very few people able to go into other people's homes. And yes, I know we were going in very often uh, with gowns and masks and all kinds of precautions being taken. But to still be there... And, um, you know, to go to somebody who's at that threshold moment of life and the privilege of being there with them in that sacred moment is something very special. It's it's special all the time. But in the pandemic, it was layered up and it was really important to be there. So uh, most of us were able to do that when, when called upon. Um, I suppose the, the hard bit has probably been actually in recent months in doing the catch up with all the sacramental moments that were missed out on by the youngsters in schools and by couples preparing weddings and so on. So we have managed to work through a lot of that now in recent times. Parishes have been really busy in recent months with First Communions and First Penance, Confirmations and weddings as well. And um, But each of those special moments is really nice. It's just that other times we've maybe come to it a bit more relaxed and people have been, but people have been really good and I'd like to pay a special tribute to the teachers in our schools who've absolutely been fantastic. Um, right, you know, they've kept the schools open, they've minded the children, kept the children happy, and they've, in recent times, helped us to prepare them 
for those sacramental moments under significant pressure and under strain as well, and including going back and catching up with ones who are now gone into secondary schools and so on and organising their confirmation. So an awful lot of good has been done. Yeah, and you know and something, I think those children, because we all remember our First Holy Communion, we all remember our confirmation. I think those children will have great stories as adults to tell their children and their grandchildren about yeah. their communions during COVID times. Absolutely. Yeah. And their children will probably be asking them with God's help, what was that thing across your face that you had in the photograph? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And, and and only the the one, I think, a very difficult time that a lot of people, and I only spoke about it last week when I had the lovely Alice Taylor on about her latest book, was that period when the churches had to be locked during the day. That yeah. was, that was, I, I remember myself going down, I wanted to light a candle for somebody and um, I'd completely forgotten that. The, and it, to go to a church door and for it to be bolted shut yeah. Stopped me in my tracks, I have to say. And and Alice was saying the same thing in, in, in her book. There was there was a there was a, a sadness and, and a loneliness, I think, about it. There was. And, you know, we were a lot of the things that we were used to got taken away from us. And that was one of the important things. Like, uh, you'd be amazed how many people come to a church during the day and come to a cemetery. Day in, day out, all kinds of hours of the day. And um, to have that sacred kind of pattern stopped as well. Yeah, it was very difficult. And I think worst of all was, I think when 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 it had to be done, that the older people were told that awful thing to cocoon. And, and it was a time of real fear for an awful lot of people. And I actually think that a lot of the people in that age bracket are still not kind of healed from that, from that fear. So as a society, I think we're going to have a big challenge whenever things free up again more easily, to encourage people of that age group especially to reconnect, to come out for the cup of tea, to come to the social gatherings in the parish halls and the community centres and the and the and you know all those places that they were used to going. A lot of them are just spending a huge amount of time at home now. And I find even when we visit them on the First Friday calls, for example, um, there's a sense of, there's a real tangible isolation in spite of the care that they're getting from families. They're really missing that sense of, and they're asking, how's so-and-so over the road? I haven't seen her now nearly two years. And that's the real hard bit, I think, for that age group. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, and just a final one, I don't know if you can answer this or not. Are churches still being sanitised? And somebody says, why are some churches uh, still doing social distancing? The, the, the sanitising, yes. All of our churches have sanitizers at the doors for people going in and for people coming out. And we're also sanitizing the churches after each Mass. All of the parishes have a tremendous amount of volunteers who, to be fair to them, are the, they're kind of the unseen heroes of the parishes during the pandemic because they're only working in the quiet background when everybody else is gone. And um, so they are actually sanitizing the churches after each Mass and each other event after a funeral or after a christening, and so on. Um, why are some of the churches doing social distancing? Because, I suppose, the bottom line is that the pandemic isn't over. No, the virus absolutely. is still there. I look at the so, figures at the moment. I would be, I would be yeah. saying well done to a church that is still doing social distancing. And our so churches are big enough to do actually, it. Most of the churches have some element of social distancing. Yeah. What we find now is that some of the churches have divided the church space into two parts. So that one half of the church still has ribbons up in every second seat and the other part doesn't. 
so people can make a choice as to where they're most comfortable. If they want to keep the social distance of the two metres, they can. If they're more comfortable, and a household, for example, can sit together in one pew and there's no problem with that. Okay. So um, we're going to do our best. We're still going to be aware of it. It's really important. And we're still ventilating the churches. It's a bit of a challenge now as the weather gets cold, but, you know, keeping the doors open. But it's better to keep people safe and people might just need to bring an extra jacket. <laughs> Wear your good winter coat and bring That's your it. bring your scarf and gloves. Listen, like you people look, did long ago yeah, there was no yeah. radiators at That's all. That's it. That's it. Listen, you look after yourself and thanks a million for joining us on the programme this too, morning. Patricia. Good morning. God bless. God bless. Bye-bye. Bye. That is uh, Father Tom Hayes, uh, parish priest in Enniskeen. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.